Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. Gentlemen, I am so thrilled to have on today an unbelievably inspiring entrepreneur, an author, a uh, recovering classically trained uh, musician. Um, her name is Natasha Miller, and she runs Entire Productions, and which is a, a company that puts on events for different corporations. Um, she's grown her business tr- dramatically and is in the process of reinventing it yet again against the backdrop of COVID. She's also just finished her entrepreneurial memoir, which is in, uh, I guess you could say, post-production and is coming out soon. And we share a lot. We, we, we have a, it's, it's a very profound conversation that, that she's able to relate a bunch of these tremendously deep messages about finding yourself, about adversity, about handling challenges in your life, the, the, the rags to riches story that, that she has gone through in her own life and how that's affected her and how she's reinvented herself multiple times along the way. So there's a ton of tremendous value here. It was such an honor to be able to speak with her. So with no further ado, Natasha Miller. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, Lift Your Legacy is committed to helping you live a more authentic and meaningful life. That being said, if I could ask you to share this podcast with someone that you think would get value from the message, that would be fantastic. In addition, I wanted to make you aware that along with the podcast, I do offer executive coaching. I help people who are successful and highly motivated, who want to see extreme, or not even so extreme, maybe just a small change that in their life. I want to help them get to the next level. What does that mean specifically? Creating more peace in your relationships with yourself, growing your business, clarifying your career. And even if you need a little bit of help losing some weight or getting more healthy, I do that also. I'm not for everyone, but for those people that are invested in making their life better and taking the next step, I highly recommend you consider me as a coach for you. Now, how do you get in touch? Well, you found the podcast. I wanted to tell you also my email, Jacob, my first name, Jacob at Lift your legacy dot live feel free please to reach out there or on all any or all of my social media channels i'd be thrilled to give you a complimentary half an hour conversation to see if we might be a good fit to work together and now with no further ado i ask you to please sit back and enjoy the show Natasha Miller, I am thrilled to have you on today. Thank you so much for finally joining me. I think it's only been about uh, two and a half years in the making uh, since we initially decided to, to, have, a, to have a podcast. Um, tell me a little bit. I mean, you know, the, when we initially connected, you were running all kinds of events and different kinds of great corporate engagements and stuff like that. And finding ourselves now in what continues to be a very long uh, pandemic, which we thought would only be two weeks. And remember, remember those days. Um, yeah. How have you been reinventing? Like, what are you, what are you working on now? I will say first, just to start off the conversation, um, what I'm working on now is a plethora of ideas. And I'm so excited to be able to have this time 
to do that. Um, when COVID first hit, it was definitely panic, grief, um, just fight or flight mode. And that for me lasted a couple of weeks until I got information, um, took care of some housekeeping things with, within my business, which unfortunately included layoffs and furloughs, which, you know, broke my heart. And, but, you know, I was recently thinking, you know, as I drive down the street and see everything boarded up, even, even in San Francisco, stores that are open for business are still boarded up. So you go to CVS and it looks like, oh, there's no way I can get in. And then the door opens. But the door because of COVID or because the riots? Both. I think they, they first boarded up because of COVID and they were going to be out for a while, but then the riots. And then we haven't had riots in weeks and weeks and weeks, but everyone's still boarded up. And I just did another podcast with a great entrepreneur who was talking about restaurants being 53% have closed for good. And so there's a lot of pain. In, in America or? Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. There's a lot of pain and anguish and suffering. And as I drive down the street and I see these closed businesses, I think of all the broken hearts and the broken dreams and the life savings that so many people put in their business and I count myself as so incredibly lucky that over the trauma of um, the so um, after thinking about what everyone else is suffering and ju the juxtaposition of what I was feeling, which was excitement for all of these new things that I'm able to look at doing. Um, I feel like a push and pull, right? I feel like how dare I be so excited and energized by the time this is affording me when so many people's businesses have crumbled. Meanwhile, my business has crumbled. We went from a multi-million dollar company to zero. And I found myself telling a group of people three weeks after this all happened, my multi-million dollar company has gone to zero and I have never felt more alive and more energized. And you know, can, I, can I just stop that? Because yeah. I have found, and, and you're the first person that's actually, uh, well, unfortunately, actually not, but, but you're the first person to articulate it so beautifully. I've had people in my life who have built these huge companies and are terrified. And I always bring up like, of all the people in the world that should go to zero with their company, it's you, cause you, you know how to do it. And hearing what you're saying is so life affirming that for most people, again, especially people that have kind of the nine to five and are thinking, you know, oh my gosh, you know, if only I could, you've built it, it's gone to zero and you're feeling phenomenal, it sounds like. I am. So you can see in my face, um, if people are listening, they can't smell, actually they can hear it. So it afforded me so many different things. We grew really fast um, over the last nine years, although I've been in business for 20 years, but I rebranded and relaunched. And so things were just flying at us. And when we went to zero, I could see the holes for the first time that I never saw before. And I couldn't see them because the business was coming in at us like a fire hose. 
And so now I get to mold and sculpt and rebuild the business and, and cover up over those holes. And th that's an amazing opportunity. So if you were to say to me a year ago, you know what, Natasha, I know how to make your business scale and grow, have more profit, have you have like the life that you love, but here's the deal. You're going to have to close for a year. Would you do it? No one will do it. Right. But we all have to do it in various ways now. You know, what's also so fascinating just to, 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 go back for a second is you mentioned this almost what you, what you would see in like a psychological sense, like a survivor's guilt. You know, you hear these people that go through, I, I don't know, there's a guy I'm interviewing um, um, named Ari Schoenbrom that was on, he was the only member from the Cantor Fitzgerald uh, company that survived September 11th. That was in the, like, literally he was in the tower and he, it, it, and he's also like a fascinating character trait because he actually doesn't carry so much of the survivor guilt because he's been so focused on, as soon as it happened, he's like, this is my, change everything, I have to go help people. But you see that happen. And it's fascinating that even from an economic standpoint, you know, I mean, thank God, you know, you weren't, your health wasn't affected, but even from an economic standpoint, a lot of people are looking around and being like, is it okay that I'm happy that I have more opportunity now when everyone else is hurting so badly? How have you managed yeah. that piece? It's a balance. So the way I've managed it and, and negotiated with my own mind is that from the moment this all happened, I started reaching out with our newsletters to both our clients and then also to our 3,500 artists, talent, and vendors and giving them information. So on both sides, I was giving information about the PPP as it was coming to me from very um, great experts. And I was calling through all the information and piecemeal fe feeding it out back to our, you know, we have 10, 12,000 people on our list for clients, 3,500 for artists and vendors, um, giving them information about what to use. Like I have this great camera, this little light that I don't need right now because it's sunny out, this microphone. Um, and really just trying to help. And then also offering to our artists and vendors, like if anyone cannot get food or essential things, just let me know. And a lot of people have said that on LinkedIn and Facebook, and I think it's wonderful. Um, I've had the great advantage of having a couple of people take me up on the offer. And it has been incredibly satisfying to be able to help them without any fanfare. Just like, what do you need? I'm sending it to you. Thank you. You know, no need for. So it sounds like, I mean, that's, that's something that you hear often is that when a person is in a place of contraction, a place of panic, a pace of frustration, moving into service and moving into focusing on how you can help others seems to like kind of bounce you out of that, out of that dark place. Yes. It's kind of like we're all helping each other out of the trenches, mm -hmm. I guess is mm -hmm. the way I look at it. But uh, as well, um, this time has afforded us to move into doing virtual events, which um, as an in-person event planner, most of them will say, oh, I can't wait for people to get back together. Like I'm sick of this, which I completely understand. Mm -hmm. But I love the learning curve of figuring out how to bring people together with really fun, meaningful, engaging, and, and a lot of times educational ways mm -hmm. that are faster paced, you know, so that we can keep attentions. And to me, it's, I feel like I'm an artist within this sphere, um, trying to, again, mold and sculpt these new interactions 
And for me, I'm, I think I'm the lifelong learner person. Um, you know, figuring out about new technology and, and going through demos and seeing things. I mean, this is an explosive time for innovation. And my innovation is just a little piece of the pie, but it's okay. All different sizes of pieces of the pie are, are welcome and needed. Well, you know, I, I wanted to go sort of granular, if you could, you sort of threw out this, like, for me, it was like, what in the world just happened? How you were in business, you said for 20 years, but it really, there was some kind of like magical rebrand that happened that hopefully yeah. you'll tell me about a little bit, yes. which transformed your business. And, mm -hmm. and I guess now that you have that sort of in your rear view mirror that you've been able to do that, how are you thinking now in terms of creating more opportunities? So I'll just, yeah. I'll just throw that one in your court and let me know what comes up for you. Okay, so I will tell you a month and a half or two, uh, two ago, I would, have been, I would have told you in an interview or my team in a team meeting, we're going to do these virtual events and virtual entertainment to tide us over until in-person events come back. Mm -hmm. Top of mind is branding and keeping on the tops of all of our clients' minds. But what I'm going to tell you today is a shift, and that is we're going to be full force going into virtual it's going to be at least a year until we can do these large events in person. And that's okay with me because what we're doing is we're building basically a second division that will live on past the time we can all get together because events then will see the opportunity to expand and be bigger and have a bigger reach. And so would so, we have been sorry, I'm sorry. I just, I want to reiterate what I'm hearing you say because you're throwing out a lot of great things. So one of the concepts that people are thinking to themselves is how do I tide myself over until life goes back to normal? And you're saying fundamentally, if that's how you're thinking, your business is in jeopardy. You have no idea what's going to happen. And yeah. by definition, you're always going to be playing defense because it's just like, ah, can we squeak it a little bit longer? Whereas yeah. you're saying, screw it. When it comes back, it'll come back. But right now, let's, let's build something that's, that's exciting. Let's build something that's exciting and have fun doing it, but mm. also have this great feeling of accomplishment that we're basically building another business mm -hmm. that will be complementary to the one that we grew and built for 20 years. And yes, of course, people are going to gather again, but when we don't know. And it's interesting that my mindset has changed. Of course, people get to change their minds, but I'm, I'm pretty opinionated. Um, so usually when I say something, I'm like, and that's it. Yeah. Well, that's not this time. Right? We're living in a time of incredible growth and change, and we can't just put our stake in the ground and go, that's it. Mm. It's too early. Mm -hmm. so, so go back, if you could. What, what in the world was it that after over a decade in business, yeah. you scraped it, rethought it? Who did you use? How did you find it? What was that like? Oh, I love talking about this. So I was a classically trained violinist and a jazz vocalist. Been touring. All I wanted to do was be a performer. That was who I was. And that led me to opening entire productions, which provided entertainment of every genre and discipline to other people's large corporate and social events. So that was a lifestyle business. That was kind of a um, and it, that was helping me keep my performance alive. It was a side, it was a side hustle. And I had a, you know, I have a 25 year old daughter. So if you think about the timing, the time that I decided to relaunch and rebrand, she was in high school hmm. and I'm from the Midwest 
And like, I think innately, I'm just attached to being a mother and tending to my children and going out to marketing and networking events at night was not something that I was willing to do when she was younger. Um, so anyway, she got older, she started, stopped needing me as much. And I took a class at the Berkeley School of Music. It was online, which is, if you think about the timing, is pretty a big deal because there wasn't a lot of online education in 2008, nine. And what happened, what was, what was the big thing happening at that time? Do you remember? The world melting the economic, down? The, the economic meltdown. So I decided to rebrand and relaunch during the downfall of, <laughs> of our financial world. Um, but at the time I didn't need to make as much money as I do now, right? The, the overhead wasn't as big and we really thrived. And so I moved my company from Alameda, which is this little island next to Oakland into the big city. And I started attending- One second, one second, it's too good. I wanna, I wanna stop that because what, what just came out for me from what you're saying and, and I had a guest a long time ago that made the same same statement. Could be that I need to have more mothers that are businesswomen on my podcast. But you know, the 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 idea of we try to time the market appropriately. And what you're kind of mentioning is forget about the market and time your life appropriately because you know, th there's that certain feeling of, I have four children and the oldest is 12. And so there's a certain feeling of like, oh my God, like, how do I, how do I manage all of the stuff that I want to accomplish? And what you're saying is, and let's attribute it to your wonderful Midwestern background, you know, background, you know, it's like, do, you know, take care of, take care of the home front when the home front needs to be taken care of and have enough confidence in yourself that the time will come when you can evolve out of here and even if, like you're saying, your evolution happens to correspond to the greatest, you know, calamity until now, thank, thankfully, um, that it doesn't matter because now it's time to go in. And even if you go in at bad times, that's a huge opportunity for everybody. Yes. And you know what? You're bringing up to light something interesting. So I rebranded and relaunched an economic downturn. And what am I doing now? Yes. I'm, I thought you saw I'm that. Rebranding. That's right. Relaunching. It's pretty cool. Thank you for bringing that to mind. And I wasn't aware at the time that I was doing what you just said. No one had counseled me. I just knew in my heart that I didn't want to leave Bennett, my daughter, to go to some grand event where there's drinking and dining and hobnobbing and networking um, and leave her with a babysitter. It just wasn't in my DNA. It's fine if it's, you know, for other people. Totally fine. Like, I don't it, there'd be no judgment. And in fact, if I had done it differently, or if I had been a little older, because I was a pretty young mother, maybe I would be like, oh, she doesn't need me. I'm just going to go in and do that. But that's well, not what it was. It, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, the language of some, something that always fascinates me is how creatives and artists function in business. And so, you know, one of my passion projects is that I help, I'm a rabbi, so I help rabbis and clergy people learn how to actually start to monetize what you're doing. And there's just this like, you know, this fear of like the nonprofit, you know, transition into a for-profit model. And yeah. so I'm always fascinated by that. So what's interesting is, I don't know if you'd find, maybe you will, and I'm being probably very overly uh, judgmental, but I don't know if you find people coming out of corporate America with enough confidence to follow their heart. That sounds like an artist talking. And the artist knows yeah. my vision has to be projected. 
right? So, so that's, that's fascinating that you were able to really leverage, it sounds like a skill set or a, a training of yours as an artist to be able to bring the art into your lifestyle and corporate vision. Yes, I can completely see how people in corporate America would have a very difficult time like throwing caution to the wind. Right. And I, I, I understand it 100%. Um, I do see there's so much comfort in what they had endured, right? Great pay, great benefits. When you venture outside of that and you go to do something entrepreneurial, you're not guaranteed anything. Right. And so it is a leap of faith. And I remember I, I had worked part-time as a, uh, in advertising and media buying when I started this company and when I decided to go full force. I moved from a, a larger home that I was renting, but still it was expensive, into a one-bedroom garden apartment. My daughter likes to say basement, but I will call it garden. Garden, yeah. And um, in case I didn't make enough money. And, you know, her bunk bed was above my bed. We shared a room. And that, after one year, in the economic downturn, I made as much money as I did before with the advertising job. But I stayed in that apartment because I loved it. It was very, you know, wonderful. Um, so I think for me, I don't have the corporate mindset in that I don't need more and more and more. I don't need bigger, bigger, bigger. A little, you know, a thing here and there, a little treat to myself. Yes, but I don't have that mindset of, of the rat race. But it's also, I think, a certain level of, of romance in the, of the process. The idea you were saying, and I cut you off rudely, of going from you know, Alameda or kind of a more suburban environment to, yeah. you know, and I, again, I, I find this myself that I don't, there's, a, there's and, and maybe this is just more of a, of a therapy session for me, there's a romance of the big cities on the West Coast. I see the LA sunsets and I'm like, ah, I just attach that very, very deeply. And it is interesting that, you know, there are people that say, let me just build a big house out in comfortable suburbia. And there's also that dreamer mentality that like economically, it does not make sense to live in San Francisco or LA or California, you know, and you know it coming from Iowa. It's like, you know, <laughs> but I can buy that garden apartment is like, a, you know, a 25 bedroom mansion, probably where, from where you're from, you know, but um, yes. it's that, it's that vision of, uh, and that romance, it sounds like of being, of being in quote unquote, the big city and, and playing with, with, with the, the big boys and girls, so to speak. Yeah. And you had, you just said something about the process. I know now in my life, I probably could have told you 10 years ago the same thing. I may not have quite understood it 15 or 20 years ago, that the best part of life, the best part is the process and the journey, period, end of story. So I'm writing a book right now. It's a, a business memoir. It's incredibly satisfying to me to be on this journey. And to be honest, I don't want it to end. I'm like one of the only authors on the planet that doesn't want her book to be published yet because I'm enjoying all the steps leading up. So when my agent says to me yesterday, your book baby is out in the world, we've submitted it to these 10 publishers, there is a part of me that was like, yes! And there is a part of me that was like, oh, okay. It's, it's so funny. I, two, things, two things that, that pop up as, as, as what you're saying there's a, there's a, 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 actually a biblical teaching that 
that it says that, that, that God remembers fondly when the, the Jews were wandering in the desert. And it's, it's fascinating because that was like the most, the most risk. I mean, it's, again, people in the middle of nowhere, like who wants to be there? You know, give, again, give me my, my, nice, uh, my nice comfortable home in, in Alameda or Walnut Creek or something like that. And, and it's like, no, like the, the, the best times when we had that, that closest to our vision, closest to who we could become was only out there while we were out and building and completely exposed the elements. So that, that's a fascinating concept. And I think also that idea of being, you know, it's, I, I see in the coaching industry a lot is everyone loves to share the success stories. It's, you know, it's always these people with the, with the beautiful six packs that are talking about, oh, I remember when I was fat and I couldn't handle it. And to a certain extent, like someone that's losing weight might seem less inspirational than someone that looks phenomenal. But at the same time, being able to really be present with yourself to say, I am working through some serious stuff right now. And I like the process that I'm working through. And you're actually sad when you get on the other side. That's a beautiful place to be because then you've essentially never, you, you, you've, you've cut out the risk in your life of uncertainty. Because if you love the uncertainty, then like, great, it's everywhere. Yeah, that, that is true. It is everywhere. So um, I think it's with age and experience. I don't think this, this idea that I'm having is really for someone that's my daughter's age at 25. Maybe she'll come to this before me, or before I did in her own life. But I think, you know, I'm 49 years old and I've had enough repeat experiences to be able to look back. Like when I was concert master of a symphony, I would just throw everything I had into the, into the rehearsals and then the performance was amazing. And then what happened the next day was a crash. It's a crash and burn. And I'm telling you what, it doesn't feel good. And then that repeated when I was performing, I would just squeeze out all of the, all of the emotions and everything that I had. And then I was just flatlined. And so now I really pay attention to the moment fleeting up and I just try to absorb all the joy. So maybe to sort of counterbalance that, you know, the crash and burn after the, you know, the climax of the uh, project. I, I think that that's, that's a beautiful idea that one of the benefits that we that we look at as we as we age, <laughs> sorry to feel old, but the but the idea is that we are we are cognizant of the ups and downs. I had I had an experience also where like I knew that the anticipation was going to be far better than the event itself. Like you go on vacation, whatever it is, and you're like most of us when we're younger, we think like, okay, I, I still got to get to vacation. But I think with age, you get that sense of like, I know the vacation's not going to be as good as the anticipation. I'm just gonna I'm gonna enjoy the anticipation part just as much as the vacation. The anticipation and the planning right. and the discussing, it right. is actually part of um, a relationship building. So it, whether it's at business or at home, when you're planning that vacation, you're passing ideas between your family and yourself, you're looking up things on the internet, you're comparing prices. It is something that can be creative and it is something that you can feel like you've accomplished. So I, I'm just in a good place in life where I really appreciate um, those those increments instead of just waiting for the big bang. So now, in terms of where where you are, you've well, it's interesting. By writing a book, you sort of walk out into a. This is actually phenomenal. That I I would love for you to speak to a little bit. Mm -hmm. You've been an artist. You've mm -hmm. been an entrepreneur. You've built a successful company. 
you are rebranding and rebuilding to what will be, God willing, an even much more successful company. Um, but, but also by starting to write, you're stepping out and sort of scratching a different itch, which is to give back and to be the trite colloquial word people use is like an influencer. Mm-hmm. What's that like? Because I feel like, especially, especially I see this with, 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 with women entrepreneurs, there's a certain sense of, of guilt that they feel when they say, you know, it's like, well, I can step out and share and help others, but kind of like, but it's sort of like has to tie back and help my company and stuff like that. And I was just trying to say like, no, own your space. Like you've accomplished a lot and the world needs passionate people that are going to make, make it better. So how have you spoken to both sides of your personality, both maybe this book won't help your bottom line. Right. But at the end of the day, it's a part of yourself. It is interesting, and I was just talking to my daughter about this, is that I'm not writing this book like so many authors do, which is totally fine, to be an influencer within their entrepreneurial or their business category. And when you read this book, um, it's pretty polarizing because honestly, and, and it, it's challenging for me to talk about because since writing this book is basically the first time I've spoken about it. So you have to bear with me. I'm practicing. Um, I had a pretty traumatic childhood, a very, very difficult upbringing and um, have been on my own since I was 16. Um, So the book, the working title is uh, Relentless Tenacity. That's a great Um, title, by the way. And, you know, I had such trouble with the title, but someone emailed me on on a day that I was like racking my brain. And she's like, Natasha, I just really admire your relentless tenacity. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you. So, you know, my journey from um, homeless shelter to the Inc. 5000. Now, there's lots of rags to riches stories, but this is more of an emotional rags to riches story. Um, It also includes monetary rags to riches, but that really isn't the, you know, the focus. Um, so you get an insight to some pretty harsh things that happened to me throughout my life, but then you get to see how they may have affected who I became as an entrepreneur. And so when COVID hit, and after I got over the craziness of the, you know, my brain was like drowning, I was like, oh, I'm built for this. I am built for this time. I'm a problem solver. I thrive in challenged times. Now, do I love that? You know, I wish that I probably could have a little bit more calm demeanor about these things and not have these things affect me so much, but that's not my story. So this book, you can read it as a memoir, 100%, or you could also read it as an inspirational journey of an entrepreneur. And it is kind of two stories riding down the same train track. So I've been asked by other people, like, is it a memoir or is it a business book? I'm like, oh, God, it's, <laughs> it's both. I'm not telling you how to be an entrepreneur. I'm telling you how I became an entrepreneur. It's, it's without, without knowing some of the, uh, the details of, of your past, I, I, have, I have two questions. One is you mentioned that it's emotional. Is the emotional nature of it because most most of the time you have to be kind of you know like eyes down you know like pushing forward, and it's only when you have that perspective of like oh my god, yeah, like how did it go this far? Is that is that what sort of unleashed the emotional experience, or was it also 
kind of going back and reliving a lot of that stuff in the process of writing it. Oh, geez, that was something else. The reliving it, honestly, was was really scary and painful. I had all these memories that I had, you know, been telling myself in the story repeatedly. And then some I had been telling out loud to some people, my daughter, some family, some friends. And then when I started writing this book, I went back to my journals, which I've kept since I was 10, because I thought, am I over-dramatizing this? Am I, is the story I'm telling myself and out loud really, it wasn't really that bad. And what happened is I read the journals and it was that bad and worse. And it just was soul crushing. So there is something that you have why, to do. Why, why, why was it soul crushing? It was soul crushing to read my own words of how I was being treated and how I felt as a young person. God, if my daughter felt that way, oh, I mean, it would ruin me. And then to think, oh my God, how did I forget that? Or how did I push that away? And it's been a lesson in psychology and and how people deal with things and how they grow. And, you know, I had a high school counselor that said to me, oh, Natasha, you made it. We thought you'd be found dead in a gutter sometime. And I was like, what? So his reaction was, I was on my own at 16, working a full-time job, I wasn't going to school regularly because how, how could I? And no one was making me go. I was trying to make a living. Meanwhile, I was concert master of the symphony. I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. I wasn't promiscuous. So his idea of me was so shocking. But now that I look at from his vantage point, I had no supervision. I had no one take care of me. I didn't show up to school. So of course I was probably doing all these other things. I, I wanted to, it's, 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 it's fascinating because you're right. What, what you're hearing and you know, a, 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 a classical artist is, is not sort of in the same, in the same. So not your typical right. uh, person to be found in the gutter. I mean, right. it could happen. There's a lot of pressure. But. It's probably because you're going to the Midwest and not uh, not uh, Northern California, but that's okay. Um, but the but the but the the um, j- just for those listeners, I grew up in Northern California. That's why I'm making the joke. Anyway, um, the 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 interesting point that I I feel I've also seen very much in my own work and trying to get through childhood trauma and all that kind of stuff is that we oftentimes don't aren't able to appreciate how horrible some of the things that happened to us were until, just like you said, until you start to frame it as seeing your kid going through that. And that's, again, it's like, I, you know, I grew up with lots of screaming and alcoholism and, and stuff like that. And uh, whatever it was, it was what it was. It was scary and it was happening. But when I see my kids and I think about what it must, what it would, might do to them if they saw that kind of stuff, it's like, forget about it. And then it brings so much compassion and I think perspective on, on the suffering that, that we've had, because it's like, we carry those inner kids with us all the time. And Absolutely. maybe that's why we're so stuck is because there's these broken, sad kids and teenagers and young adults that we're just trying to pretend like, oh, well, you know, we're, we're good now. And it's like, well, not really, because you have all these shattered parts of yourself that haven't been healed per se. Yeah. And I feel like I'm definitely on the road to being healed. But I bet that that little girl from 29th Street that is deeply embedded in me will never go away. 
you know, and, and maybe I want to keep some of her anyway, because what happens with that little girl from 29th street is when something amazing happens in my life, my daughter can attest to this. She'll be like, yeah, mom, I know you can't believe that this thing, this amazing thing happened to you because you're the little girl from 29th street. She doesn't understand. And, and I'm glad she doesn't have to understand experientially, but to this day, I appreciate amazing things and even less than amazing things. If it's positive, sometimes I can't believe it's happening to me. You'd think I'd be used to it by now, but I'm not. Well, I, I think that that's the point is, well, it's interesting because, you know, I, I, for some reason, forgive me, I'm pulling from a completely different musical source, but, you know, you see so many of the, uh, you know, like so many r rappers who carry a lot of their, you know, like I'm just thinking Eminem, you know, and, and, and how he speaks about his very, um, Ma, you know, like the, the horrible place he came from. And initially it's about street cred, but I think after a while it's about yourself and your own level of appreciating where you come from. Because eventually, again, we might look at you and we say, well, she's, you know, she runs a multi-million dollar yeah. business. She no one would ever know. If you right. look at me and you look at my biography, yeah. you would never know right. what I went through. Right. But I will tell you this, and I would love for you to do this. If you listen, uh, go on to Spotify or Apple, if you listen to the song called Her Life from my first record called Her Life, you don't even have to listen to the words. You can feel what my life was like. And then you can go back and listen to it again and listen to the words and it paints an even clearer picture. Um, but I, I understand why rappers or what any musician, everyone, yeah, you know, any artist, any emoting person um, puts their, I mean, the, the easiest thing to write about is heartbreak or that crazy, wonderful love, right? right. One of the, those two are the, the easiest things, you know, because it's the biggest emotions that come out. So and it's and it's also that i guess it's also that i guess owning our owning owning our own story and being okay with ourselves and there is such a such a desire especially as people that come from difficult places to move past it and it's like god i can't wait until i'm not paycheck to paycheck or yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I want to start a business where I'll make six figures. And then, you know, if only I can get there. And then, you, so we always try to move out. And we'd love to forget in a lot of cases, you know, oh, I, I remember when I had no idea where the money was coming from. But yeah. honoring that, I think, and not, I, I think it's, I, I get why you want to run out of it. But then eventually a point comes where you want to live in that because you'll always find people that are making more money than you. But if you look at where you came from, it gives you such a crazy perspective and appreciation for what you've been able to accomplish. Absolutely. It really has. And I, I tell you, I, I live an incredible life, but compared to other entrepreneurs with similar revenues and similar profit margins, I mean, I'm looking around at my place. You know, I have a beautiful sofa over here. I got it on Craigslist. It's gorgeous, by the way. It's mind-blowing. This is great. I love that place, yeah. No, then on the other side, there's a very expensive chair that I, I waited for three years and talked myself in and out of buying like five million times. So, but that's one thing out of like, if I'm looking at various things in my apartment, rather than having all the things be this, you know, big spend or this big splurge. So... I, I appreciate having that one thing that, appreci that you appreciate. And the other crazy thing is it's like, 
most people don't see that. You know what I mean? It's like, it's your, it's your, it's your splurge. And, and, and it, and it's, it didn't come without consideration. I think that's also how you kind of see how it's almost you've made peace. Three years of consideration. I may have been able to cut that short, but I mean, I, I can't even tell you that was, it's actually a funny story, but um, you know, I had, I had this slick BMW that I actually felt that I needed and wanted. It was a good identity motivator for a while. And then after a while, I'm like, huh, I don't need this anymore. In fact, I don't need any car. So I gave it to my brother. And my brother was very deserving of having, for the first time in his life, a nice car that ran well. And it's probably not the look that he would have picked up for himself, but it felt really good for me to give it to him. No strings. Drive the car, sell the car, give the car away. I don't care. I think that that's, that's the, I guess that's kind of the dark, the dark, well, I don't know how do you say the dark side of it or the, or the, or the ironic side of it, the whole thing is it's like, you know, the people that work for the, for it, sometimes they just give it away. And the people that work for it, once you get it, they're like, you know, I, I had, I was so shocked that two of the most, um, they're the most down to earth people I've ever seen in my life, but, but they have he and her Bentleys. And he was saying like, you know, like, yeah, I got it. But then like, he's like, it breaks down like other cars and it's the same kind of a thing. And you think to yourself, eventually you'll reach a line where there's such a premium on products. And it's like, not really. At the end of the day, like what people care about is, do I love my family? Do I love the work that I do? Am I happy? And it's, it's, it's for me, it's always so reassuring to hear people that have the ability to buy the lifestyle that everyone else wants saying that than the people that can't buy it and trying to pontificate on, oh, I, I don't want that. It's like, be able to do it first and then again, buy the BMW, then realize it's, you'd rather just have your brother have a nice car to drive around. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a beautiful lesson. I do want to mention, there's something that is like floating around in my mind. And I want to say this out loud in case somebody listening has a similar feeling. So I did live, you know, of course, paycheck to paycheck or worse, whatever that is. And I do feel, yeah, I do feel incredibly lucky and, and remember what that feels like. Um, One of the things I want to say is as I was making more and more money, it scared me more and more that I would lose it and that I wouldn't have it. So it wasn't a nice, it wasn't a nice, nice feeling. And I don't know what that is. And, you know, one day I'll figure that, figure that out. Wait, slow, slow down and explain that a little bit more, please. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, I'm before COVID, I was making quite a bit of money. I could basically buy whatever I wanted. Now, did I want hugely expensive things? No, as you know, I bought the Craigslist thing, but it, it made me feel um, scared as I made more money and, and became, you know, went into more wealth. I was like looking at things before like, oh, I can't buy that bread for $4.99 because there's bread over there for $3.50. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a real deal. Yeah. The real thing. And then like, I'm afraid of, of losing it or spending it. And so, you know, when people say, oh, wealthy people, they're, you know, they're so stingy. Well, maybe they're stingy or maybe they're having a mental <laughs> moment, right. you know, like, like I am. And I think the stingy people that have um, wealth probably came from like maybe depression era or like me had to, you know, fend from their, themselves at a very young age. I don't know. Still working on that. 
No, it's 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 absolutely a this this affected me so much. I I can also relate very much to it. Is it like when you start making more money, you've been waiting for that your whole life, but then there's so much terror that comes with like, oh my god, like okay, I'm getting used to living at these at the, at this at this level. You know what what's going to happen? It's, it's just all going to go away. So I I I I tell people this. It's a crazy thing in in Elon Musk's book as he was about to build. He was funding, you know, whatever. He was just about to knock out Model 3 and, and again, like above and beyond like what, what most of us will accomplish in terms of the financials of having, you know, I get three of the most, you know, innovative companies in the world at the same time. But he said that as he was thinking about it, he said, I might go raise money because I just never, I'm afraid I'm going to lose it all. And he says it comes from my grandmother and she was in the depression. And it's just fascinating because... And I think that this is something that I'd love your thoughts on. If someone like Elon Musk can worry about it all going away, we're never going to reach a point, theoretically speaking, where we will make more money that we're not worried about losing it anymore. Right. But the reality is that we can just learn right now to say, I'm happy. And again, going back to the whole theme of it, it's like, if you're happy with nothing, if you're happy with not knowing if you've seen now looks like three times in your life that you will build the bigger business in the worst economic climate and you will enjoy it and you will want to write about it, like you're already fine. So like- And, and you, you know what I can do? I can go back and live in that garden apartment today yes. and I would be happy, I would yes. be thriving, I would be excited and, and that's, that, there's the comfort there. This is, this is tremendous. This is, this is such a great, I, again, I, I hear what you're saying. It's like, it starts as a business discussion, but it gets very, very deeply philosophic and moves to a much deeper place where almost if you say, oh yeah, will it help you make more money? It's like, yeah, obviously if you nail this stuff, you can make as much money as you want. But on the flip side, it's like, also like, who cares about money? This is such a more important thing that we're discussing. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. And, and there is a point where you, you don't really need more money than a certain amount. Right. It's you know, ridiculous. Right. Anyway. So, okay, Natasha, tell us, tell us how we can find out more about you, about your company, the relaunch, the book. What's next for you? Goodness. Okay. So uh, entireproductions.com is my core business website. Natashamiller.biz, B-I-Z, is my personal website where you can see some of the music, some of my speaking topics and a little bit about the book, which um, is, you know, who knows where it's going to land. Again, it's all in the process. And um, we did open as another division, which we haven't talked about. We can talk about it another time, but it's entireproductionsmarketing.com. And so that's a premium gifting promo branded item uh, company that really we serve our, our clients that do events. Everyone needs to buy stuff for their events. So we just thought during the time of COVID, why not just open another division? Who's, who's working? Who's we are. Do you have like a, is this like just you, the, the Royal we sitting in, you have, you've, you've built out your team that and everyone kind of speaks together. So I had 12 people uh, pre COVID and I have six people now. It, that's including myself and an incredible team of people that are just not only holding down the fort, but helping me, Oh gosh, they're dealing with me and all my ideations and my creations. And they're like, okay, Natasha's opening another division. Just hold on tight. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, 
it's great to know. So that, that also would have to be something we'd speak about because I think that that's also a phenomenal, again, that's that artist that goes into the, into the world of business, which is knowing that for every wonderful idea, you have to have some level of checks, balances, and accountability of people that are actually going to have to worry about uh, implementing all of your, your wonderful creations. And finding that balance, I think, is something that's, uh, again, people think, oh, uh, you know, I'm not suited for business because I'm an artist. And it's like, no, you just have to know sort of how to build, build your ideal team. Absolutely. Right there. That could be just like the pullout from the whole, whole talk. Is that if I have too many pullouts. I don't know if that's if that, I don't know if that if that was the point. <laughs> no, if you're an artist or a creative and you don't think that you have it in you to have a business, look for people to help you bolster that side that you're not good at. Period. End of story. Everyone can do it. Okay, Natasha, this was such a tremendous pleasure. I I say this. I don't, I definitely do not say this for most of my interviews. And of the times I say this, I'm only about 30% of the way completely honest, but I'm being completely honest with you. I would love to do a part two of this. There was so much value that you delivered. I really appreciate you taking the time and I, I learned so much speaking to you. Thank you. Oh, good. Thank you. I would be happy to talk to you anytime. Thank you. And... There you have it, folks, another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, We have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.